do so. Um, let's pray before we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that just happened. Thank you for your perfect will occurring. Thank you because it was the best in our lives. Whatever we live through today, it was you are a good God, a perfect God. And out of all the things that we could have lived through today, whatever we did was the best. And we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you, like, like our pastor said, that our theology, the way we understand you, Lord, is how we pray to you. And we just thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to, to, to thank you for revealing yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you illuminate us, that you can help us understand your word. Since it's God breathed, only, only you can help us understand that. And we thank you for this opportunity. And I, and I, Lord, that it be your words, it be your words transforming the lives tonight. It would be your words transforming our hearts tonight. Not my style, not my, the way I teach, but only you, God. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go. Uh, we're going to continue in the book of Matthew. So let's go ahead and start turning our Bibles to chapter 8, uh, verse 14. And in recent memory, what has been the longest day that you've ever, like, lived? Like, what has been the longest day that you feel like, man, I woke up and all my, I, I did all these things and, and it was so long. What, what, what could be an example of that? Yes. We went to Hawaii, so we got up at around 2 and went to bed at around, well, here. Was it what, 9 when we went to bed? So, like, 9 plus 5 hours from 2 to, I suppose. Yeah. To not have that jet lag, right? To, you came from Hawaii. We, you, we were pretty much awake from 2 to 2 yeah. in the morning. Okay. Anybody else? A long day. Chloe was born at like 1 a.m. So like we didn't sleep for like 36 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Probably a prominent example for everyone is the latest school day. Latest school day. Okay. Yes. Summer solstice. Summer Yeah, technically, yes. That is the <laughs> longest day. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about, okay, so you, you maybe you had an exhausted day at school, homeschool, public school, whatever type of school, you were in it the whole day, all day you were in it, all the subjects. Then after that, you had practice for a sport, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll get you guys later. You had practice for a sport. And then after that, your parents are, you know, want you to have a, a language and you're in language class or a music class, right? And then after that, you got youth group and then... You think when you get home, your day is done, you're gonna go to sleep, but then, oh, you forgot to do your chores, right? You gotta do that before you go to sleep because parents are gonna ground you. So imagine at the end, when you think you're all done, imagine you get home tonight and you're like, you had this long day today, and you say to yourself, wow, I got my chores to do. Man, I'm gonna do these chores to the best of my ability. You know what, God, I want to honor you with these chores that I'm on about to attend because even though I had an exhausting day, I, I want to serve you by serving my parents. And yes, how many of you would have that attitude, right? It's, it's kind of hard, right? Only a supernatural God, right, would have that attitude. And that's where we see ourselves today, okay? You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the whole day preaching. And can you, if I get tired, just teaching to you guys, and this is my audience, this is my voice tone. Can you imagine teaching to thousands? Because it was a lot of people while he was preaching the sermon. There's a lot of people from many areas coming, right? And you're under the sun, and you're teaching, right? 
And then you're walking because there's no car at all. Oh, let me get in the car with the AC and maybe call an Uber or Lyft to get to my next stop. No, you're walking everywhere you go. And then right where you think, oh, I'm going to go inside the house and I'm going to relax. Well, there's, there's a sick person in there. Okay, let me, let me heal that. And then all of a sudden, you get a knock on your door and you see all these people that weren't there in the morning are now there at night. And Jesus did this and he did this with compassion and love. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus delivers and heals many. Okay, Jesus delivers and heals many is the title of our lesson today. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 8, verses 14 through 17. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Amen? So this is the context, right? Jesus just finished his Sermon on the Mount. He had a huge gathering of people. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at the miracles that he was performing. Remember, if you had a disease that was not curable, there was no hope for you. And people start hearing all over the area, there's this guy named Jesus, and he's healing people. You're going to get a crowd. Like, like Brandon was teaching us last week. You got, you, there's a crowd here. This is not just a couple of people, right? So he's there, and um, we know that he's performing miracles. He's, he's healing the sick. We know last week he healed the leper, right? He healed the uh, Gentile slave, right? Now, Matthew has this scene right now going into Peter's house right after the Sermon on the Mount. But other gospel accounts have it differently. Other gospel accounts have Jesus at a synagogue delivering a demon-possessed man and then going to Peter's house to where the, mom, the mother-in-law is and so forth and so on. Um, so we know that regardless, and we're going to get into why there's differences in the gospel accounts, of where we are, we know that it was a long day of ministry because in the other accounts, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching as well. He's going to Peter's, Peter's house, Peter's house where he's probably going to rest and spend the night there, right? But yet his ministry does not stop. And we're going to see this greatness of our Lord. And if for an outline, if I were to put it in an outline, it would be basically two scenes at the end of Jesus' day or two scenes and Jesus' day of ministry. Okay? The first scene, Peter mother's in law, Peter mother's in Peter's mother-in-law is healed, verses uh, 14 and 15. And the second scene is Jesus casts out demons and heals many. Verses 16 and 17. For those taking notes and want to kind of like a, a theme, and this for, for a small group later on, that way you have something to say. Hey, what was it about? Hint, hint. Our loving and compassionate Savior was never tired to serve. Our loving and compassionate Savior was never tired to serve. So let's go back to scene one, okay? When Jesus came into Peter's home, verse 14, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever, okay? So let's get the context here. Peter's home, because we always think of the apostles as like these, 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 these Avengers, these superheroes, they have no family, it's just them. And no, they're... 
They're people that had a life. They, they were fishermen or doctors or tax collectors. They had some sort of life that they lived before they came to Christ, right? Before they were called by him. So in this case, John tells us that Capernaum is not Peter's hometown. Bethsaida is his hometown, right? John tells us that he and his brother Andrew moved to Capernaum because that is where the initial part of Jesus' ministry is. It's like the headquarters in Capernaum, right? So we also know that Peter is what? He's married. One of the few apostles that we actually know that actually was married, and the apostle Paul in Corinthians, he's saying, you know, even, even the apostles who are married, this is referencing to Peter. He's a married man, right? So if he's married, he has a mother-in-law that's alive, okay? Now, in Matthew's account, you see, Matthew states that Peter's, uh, Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed. He just saw her. You would think, you know, Peter, you know, is your mother-in-law. You don't want to tell Jesus that you your mother-in-law is sick? Like, yeah, Jesus, I know we're in the synagogue, but my wife just told me that my mother-in-law is super sick. Can we just come? You don't... In, P, in Matthew's account, we don't have it. In, in, Act, in Mark's and in Luke's account, we do have some sort of urgency of the apostles telling Jesus. And we're going to read it in a second. Hey, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And a fever back then is not what we see a fever today. It was a disease, not a symptom of a disease, if that makes sense. So it was something important. But in Matthew's account, Peter, you know, it seems like if he didn't really like his mother-in-law. No, just kidding. There, there's a joke <laughs> about mother-in-law's. I love my mother-in-law. She's great. You know, hopefully you, you will have a good mother-in-law too when you marry. All right. <laughs> so let's go to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Who said I had to say that? So Mark 1, chapter 29 through 31. This is a, a, the same account, but this is under Mark. This is how Mark recalls that event. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, remember I was telling you that he was in the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. So who spoke to Jesus about her? The apostles, his brothers, Peter, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Okay, that was, that was Mark's account of this story, of this situation, of this historical event that occurred. Now let's look at Luke's account. So in Mark's account, we see that that's different to Matthew's, that the apostles tell Jesus, hey, Peter's mother-in-law has fever. Okay? And now, in Luke's account, it's not just a regular fever. It's a high fever. Then, verse uh, Luke uh, 4, chapter 38, verses 40. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had many, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and lying his laying his hands on each of one of them, he was healing them. Okay? So this is these are three interpretations, three ways the apostles saw what had happened. Right? Mark was an apostle, but he wrote, uh, he was a helper for Peter, and Peter was an apostle. So Peter's basically telling Mark, hey, write this down, this is how I remember it. This is how they remember it, okay? Now, some of you might say, hold on, so, so does, does that mean that the Bible contradicts itself? If, if it's like they have different details, and 
different accounts. So I'm going to get a, a pause, parentheses. We're going to get into a little systematic theology here, okay? And let's start with, we know that the Bible is inerrant and infallible. 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 Inerrancy means that the teaching that since the scripture are, the scripture are given by God, they are free from error in all their contexts, including doctrinal, historical, scientific, geographical, and other branches of knowledge. And it's infallible because it's unable to mislead or fail in accomplishing the divinely intended purpose. So why are there different, different accounts of the same story, right? So we have to trust that the Bible, this is God-breathed. The Bible is God-breathed, therefore it is perfect. In everything it is perfect, right? But what does God use to give us his word? Non-perfect humans. Right? And that's going to take place, and we're going to see why. Let's all open your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 26. John chapter 14, verses 26. Here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he tells them this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So what is Jesus saying? He's claiming that the Holy Spirit would what? Would remind them of things that had happened. Bring it to your remembrance. What does that imply? It implies that we should expect one or more complementary accounts of Jesus' life through the, in the Gospels. Okay? That's the first part. Now, since the Holy Spirit helped them... To remember, what does that do? They had first-hand knowledge. They were there when the events that took place when Jesus was alive here on earth. They were there, right? So, And they had the Holy Spirit to help them what? Remember. Yes? Okay, and let's go to John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. It's just a couple of pages. And it says here, when the Helper comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is a spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So who is going to testify? The apostles. How are they going to testify? I don't know, maybe through a letter? Through the gospel, right? They're going to testify through the gospels that we have today. Now, you're still thinking, so why the different accounts? I was a former uh, human resource investigator for Irving ISD. And I investigated many things. And it was some situations that they were tough to interview people of what had happened. I had video footage of what had happened, yet we still have to ask people who were there what had happened. And guess what? It is okay and it's logical because we're all different and we all see things differently that the same story was told differently in different ways. You know what was, what uh, caused an alarm? What caused me to be suspicious? When the accounts were the same exact account. That was suspicious, why? Because then this is a question I would ask the student. Hey, um, I know that you know, the allegation of a you know, teacher 
grabbing your arm is pretty serious and I want you to know that that, that can cost them their job. I just gotta ask this and please don't think that I don't believe you, but, and if, and this is it, this is the time that you will not get in trouble. Are you probably making this up because you don't like your teacher and you probably form your, with your friends to lie about this incident? And let me tell you, there were some times that it, it, that was the case, that they would fess up. And it was the, the accounts that were exactly the same thing. Me and my counterpart were like, hold on a second, this doesn't, this doesn't seem right. It was the ones that were complementing that account from different areas. It's the same story, guys. This is the same situation here. Peter, mother-in-law, is sick with a fever. He heals many. He takes out a lot of demons. So the fact that it's a high fever or who saw that she was sick, they don't distract us from the message of what is happening here, of the historical fact of what is happening here. Yes, Ian. So you have probably another reason why they're written differently is you have a bunch of fishermen, uneducated lower class. And then you have Luke, who's a doctor and probably knows Latin so they can study for medical stuff. And doctors need to be educated. So he probably had a different account because of his education or past kind of thing. And that's why God uses imperfect humans with all, with all different backgrounds, all different personalities. And it, and it makes it even more of a miraculous book because all these different authors, over 40, different backgrounds, different education, and to have one common theme over 1,400 years, that there's divine, there's, the, there's divineness in there. That's God. That's a, that's a miracle. And we're going to get into miracles later on. Okay? All right. So close parentheses, inerrancy, infallible. God is good. The word is perfect. It doesn't contradict. And it's okay to have little differences, but we know that the word is true, and we know that the Holy Spirit came and helped them. You ever wonder how did the how did the the, the the apostles write all these things down? It was years after this occurred. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was there to remind them and to be the first hand account. Okay, so what happens uh, when Jesus sees her? All right, let's continue to read verse fifteen. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. Waited on him in the sense like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and wait until you speak, Lord. No, the Greek for waited on him means starting to serve him food. Uh, like what a normal uh, woman at that time would do if they had a guest and come serving food, uh, uh, being comfortable as a guest, right? So a couple of things to consider here. Fever at that time was considered what? A disease and not a symptom. Jewish tradition, what did they do? It forbade anyone to touch someone who had a fever as they might be unclean. Another Jewish tradition that was uh, present at that time, it forbade what? Jews to touch men, to touch women, right? During that time, you don't know if they have their, their cycle or not, so you don't touch women because you become unclean, right? Yet, what do we see our compassionate Lord do? At this moment, what do we see him do? What did we see him do before? He touched a leper. He healed a slave of a Gentile. And he touched a woman, something that the Pharisees, the spectators were like, what is he doing? He's showing his compassion. He's showing his love of who he is. When Jesus heals, he does it in various ways. Sometimes he touches. Sometimes he speaks it into existence. The only one that actually can speak things into existence, God, Jesus, you are healed. Go tell your servant that he's healed. Go, go, go home and you'll find them that they're healed. 
Some, some people touch him and they get healed, right? In this case, just like in verse 3, he touches Peter's mother-in-law and she's healed, okay? Now, Brandon asked this question last week. How many, how many days did it take for the healing to occur? Zero. How many hours? Zero. How do we know that? How do we know that it was immediate? There was an immediate miracle. It was like right there and then. You were healed. How do we know that? And this is something that all three accounts show and tell us. It doesn't say, and two days later, he was healed. Okay. It doesn't technically say that, but it does say something that implies that she was healed immediately. Because it said that she, he lifted her up and she started serving him. She started serving him. I don't know about you, but if you have fever, right? The last thing you be to get up and just start going, you've been days, you've been sick various days with fever. You're weak. You haven't eaten. How you're, you, but this, in this account, in Matthew's, in Mark's, and in Luke's account, it says she got up and waited on him. This is important, okay? And we're going to get into miracles later on. But you need to see that it is important and kind of like to have in the back of your hand and your mind. We got to be cautious when we use terms like miracles. Okay? It's something big. It's something great, awesome. That you get healed from COVID. That's just your body that God gave us fighting it off or allowing medicine to help you. Miracle would be Someone with COVID who is intubated, all of a sudden it's gone and he wakes up and starts walking like if nothing happened. That's the difference between getting healed or, you know, as a miracle or, you know, your body itself that the Lord has given us healing itself. It's two different things. Okay. Not saying that you don't, we're going to get into miracles in a second. Let's just, let's continue. So let's go to the second scene. The second scene is Jesus casts out demons and heals many. Verse 16, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. As mentioned earlier, the accounts of Mark and Luke have this setting at the end of a Sabbath day. They were, he was in the synagogue. He was teaching, right? So for Jewish tradition, it was against the law to be healed on the Sabbath. So Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. So what happens on Saturday night? All the Jews that were looking at the Pharisees... We're like, I don't want to go to Jesus. They're going to probably give me church discipline. They're going to kick me out of church. <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> they knock on Peter's door at night. And many were there. Many, meaning the whole town. A lot of people. Bringing who? They're demon-possessed. They're ill. Right? Because it was nighttime, and now, technically, they can be healed and wouldn't sin against God. This is why when evening comes, all, the, all of them are come for this. Many means the whole city, as Mark account states. Uh, we see that Jesus performed these miracles without regard to individual faith or circumstances, because we don't hear or see any of that, because a lot of people think, and it's a, you know, a, a theology out there that you, know, you don't get healed because you don't have enough faith. And that, puts faith. and that puts miracles on man, and miracles are only of God. And he can, only God can glorify God. He can take that glory. He performs miracles, not your faith. What about the how many people that were dead? Where is their faith that God raised up? They had no faith to be healed, but they were. Because the miracles come from God. And we're going to 
I know you guys want to talk about miracles now, but give me one second, all right? <laughs> Whether the problem was spiritual or physical, we see that Jesus healed them all. So what was the purpose of Jesus healing all these infirmities? That's a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it right now. Number one, MacArthur states he was giving evidence of his Messiahship, proving to all that he is the Messiah, right? And remember, what is the theme of Matthew? Jesus has what? Jesus has what? King. king, right? So what is Matthew trying to do here? He's trying to prove to his audience that Jesus is king. And he's talking to an audience that knows Isaiah, right? And that's why we're going to go into verse 17. But also he healed to give a preview of what? Of his coming kingdom, in which there will be no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. All right, so let's take another parenthesis, all right? And let's talk about miracles, right? What is a miracle? An event that defies common expectations of behavior and, and is attributed to a super, superhuman agent, an occurrence that demonstrates God's involvement during human affairs. A miracle is basically goes against the laws that God himself created. Laws of physics, right? When Jesus ascends in the air. Laws of gravity, where the Red Sea is divided in two. The Jordan River is divided. A miracle is that, okay? It's something spectacular, something big, something that you don't see, something out of the ordinary. So give me some examples of biblical miracles starting from the Old Testament. Yes? When God just spoke the world into existence. Yes. Creation. That's a huge miracle. Let's go in order if we can try to go chronologically. Next. Yeah. Turn Moses' staff into a serpent. It did before that. Yes, the confusion of languages, right? That was pretty miraculous where everyone is just starting to talk all these different languages and they start taking them together and they go. That's miraculous. No language, all these languages. That's, that's a miracle, okay? Well, we'll, we'll probably miss a little bit, but this is the list I have because we can go on. I got burning bush. What about the global flood? That can be considered. I saw that sometimes. It was a that miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, burning bush, Moses' staff, 10 plagues, the Red Sea, manna falling from heaven. Manna. Manna. Is that how you say it? Manna. Water from the rock. Poor Moses. Earth opens and swallows Korah and his company. Remember that? Jordan River separating as they enter the promised land. Jericho walls falling, but just shouting. Sun staying still. Balaam's donkey speaking. Samson's string. I like this one. Elijah's sacrifice consumed. Ravens delivered food to Elijah. Elijah's cloak divides the river when, when Elisha comes in and gets his, his uh, rope. Widow's oils multiplied. Iron axe head is floating. What? Iron axe. Uh, there was a story, I think it was uh, Elisha, where somebody's uh, axe fell in the river and kind of prayed. I don't know the story. I don't know the context right now, but I know yeah, that that iron head floated. Yeah. Anybody know the context? I mean, not that well. It's like it was an accident where it flew off, and they were upset about it. And he made it float to the top. I don't remember much of it. We could always read it. Okay, let's continue. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
right? The people, the, the soldiers that were putting him in died. <clears throat> what about uh, Lion's Den, Daniel in the Lion's Den? Okay, now let's talk about New Testament. Yes. Jesus healing like... Before that. The birth of Christ. Yes. Miraculous conception, right? What about money in the fish when, when they needed to pay taxes? How many gold gum fish and they ever got, got gold coin in there? Blind men healed, leprosy healed, paralytics healed, water turned into wine, resurrection of the dead, many... Many of the Christ will be resurrected. Jesus feeds the crowds of thousands. Those are miracles, right? Calming of the storms. What else happened in that storm? Or in a storm? I mean, like, you guys do it all the time. Psych, walking on water. Christ's resurrection. That's why we're here. We're Christians because of that resurrection. I was reading Corinthians this week, and, and, and I thought of the question, of when does Christianity start? I think it was First Corinthians 8 or 9 of how the resurrection. 13, 1 Corinthians 13, that's uh, Excel stuff right there, the resurrection. Read it, and it gives you an understanding on why the resurrection begins Christianity in a way. Um, Christ's ascension, Pentecost, Peter and John heal a lame man, miraculous escapes from form from prison, the shadow of the apostles healing people, Eutychus, Dorcas, and Tabitha. What do they all have in common? They all have weird names. Yeah. You know you want to call your daughter Dorca. <laughs> what do they have in common? Yes. Uh, the re the uh, John's vision. Oh, yeah, yeah, but before that. What does Eutychus, Dorcas, and Tabitha have in common? Dead. What? They're dead now. Yeah, they are dead. <laughs> Thank you. What happened? What is that? What did, what did they? Eutychus. They died. And the apostles resurrected them from the dead. Okay? Eutychus was actually, uh, the apostle Paul was preaching until like 12 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah. Fell from the third floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I don't know. I would have been like, as soon as I'm getting healed, I'm like, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry. I didn't really want to. I didn't want to feel fall asleep in your preaching, man. I'm sorry. sermon. I'm sorry. And then shakes off a viper. Right? Paul just, they were like, oh my goodness. He didn't die. Well, probably what it said is it's probably an ass and those things like. Pretty like, deadly. Yeah, they can kill like, like eight people with just like one bite. Technically bite the venom. Okay, so we mentioned all these things. So why does God use miracles in the Bible? Anybody want to give it a shot? Yes. To show his power. Show his power. Okay, to show his glory. Okay. All right. Yes? He's in control. He is in control. Okay. Show his compassion. Show his compassion. Okay. To authenticate it. To authenticate who? Jesus. To authenticate his messengers. Yeah. To authenticate his messengers so that people can say, hey, guys, that person that's speaking to you, that person that's performing all those miracles, guess who? I, he's mine. I, I'm sending him. And you know why? You can trust him because look what he's doing. Okay. The primary point is that God has used miraculous gifts to testify to the people that those performing the miracles are his genuine messengers. As you saw, it has been confined to three major periods. Think about it. Moses. Right? All the miracles that occurred through Moses to Joshua. That era. Full of miracles. 
Then we got Elisha and Elijah, right? Those are pretty, pretty realistic, uh, jaw-dropping, all miracles. And then we have Christ and the apostles. Let's look at some text real quick. Exodus, you don't have to go there. I'll read them quick. Exodus 4, 30-31. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about some of the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. 1 King chapter 18, verses 36 to 39. This is Elijah. Here we go. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering of the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. How do you know if you're an apostle? One of the characteristics that you are an apostle, you saw Jesus personally, okay? You saw him and you performed signs and wonders. The type of signs and wonders that Paul and Peter, Paul would walk in his shadow, would heal people. Peter would, Peter Paul. I think it was Peter that, his, Peter walked, his shadow healed. It was Paul's handkerchief or some sort of cloth that was got, uh, uh, passed around and people were healed just by touching it. Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 2, verses 2 to 4. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was spoken to who? Through the Lord, and it was confirmed to you, to us, by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. These are miracles. And that's what they're there for, to authenticate the messengers. And if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the majority of these books, the majority of these authors, there's some sort of authentication behind their writing to know that they're God's messengers. How do we know that? Well, because we trust God in his word, but he gave us mediums to see through miracles and wonders. Now, let's go back to the theme of Matthew, right? Which is Jesus as king. See, what were, what were ways that, what was a way that Matthew tried to convince his Jewish reader audience that Jesus was king? What was he doing? What, did, what has he done throughout the letter? What has he done throughout this, his account? Miracles. Matthew himself. What is he doing? What is he doing in his letter trying to convince the Jewish audience that he's writing to Jesus is king. How do we know that this is what he's trying to do? What are what are some things that he does? Okay, but other apostles do the same. But Matthew does something specifically more than the other apostles in their account. Yes? Referencing Old Testament prophecies. He references Old Testament. Over 60 references of Old Testament prophecies. And one we're going to read right now. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities 
and carried away our diseases. Let me read it one more time. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. How many of you know that this is one of the verses that is really taken out of context a lot? What's the number one verse that's taken out of context a lot that you know? Yes, Philippians 4.13. That one's number one. And I would say this would be a strong number two, right? Because in our current day theology, some churches would preach that because of this promise, you are guaranteed to be healed. And they use this to justify the way they pray and proclaim God's promises of healing. But it, it's not what I think it's saying, right? It's not my job to say, well, guys, I think this is what it's saying. It's not my job to do that. The Holy Spirit knows what it wanted to say when the Matthews readers were reading it. And the Holy Spirit wants, knows what it wants to say, so we're, we're reading today. So it is our job to do what? To look at context, to look at grammar, to look at translations, to look at what's going on to make the application, to know what the Holy Spirit is intended for us to learn about this. You can't just take verses from the Bible and just say, oh, this is for me. This is my promise. It doesn't work that way. This is, this is God's word. We can't just treat it like if it's some sort of bingo. This is God's word. It's our job as believers in Christ to make sure that when we read it, we read it in appropriate context. That our job as teachers to you is to teach this faithfully to what the intended audience, to the intended author intended to say, which is the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to come and tell you guys, well, guys, this is what I think. No, my job is to already take what's already cooked, what's already been said, and be a waiter and deliver it to you guys in its total faithfulness, in its total, complete, intended purpose. So let's look at that right now. Let's, let's know why that's not the appropriate context of this verse. The context of the passage of Isaiah 53, which I read today in the Bible reading plan, which is pretty cool. When Jesus, it's the, whole, it, the whole passage is talking about when Jesus dies for our sins. Okay? Dies for our sins. The message is atonement. The message is salvation. That is the entire context of Isaiah 53. He will come. He will suffer. He will die. For you. Okay? So what did it mean for Jesus to take our infirmities and carry away diseases? Jesus took our infirmities and carried away diseases in the sense that he saw and felt the destructive power of their root cause. So what is the destructive power of the root? What is the root cause of sickness? What is the root cause of people being possessed in the mind by demons? What is the root cause of that? The fall, which produced what? Sin. Sin. That is the root cause. That is what God, that is what he carried away. Sin. And all the consequences of sin. But wait, there's more. We know that the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's redeeming work is yet future, right? The full fulfillment of his, of his glorification is future. It hasn't happened yet. Romans 8, 22 to 25. Christ died for men's sins, but Christians still fall into sin, right? He died for your sins, but as believers, we still sin. He, he died for his followers, 
not to die in a, in, in a future one day, but we die right now, right? It happens. He overcame pain and sickness, but his people still suffer and become ill. So how does that make sense? How does that come into play? All right, bear with me. When he took away, he, took his, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. It's talking about future glorification. It's talking about the day that we're going to be with him in eternity. Well, there will be no death, no sickness. We will be with him. Those who claim that Christians should never be sick because there is healing in the atonement should also claim that Christians should never die. Because Jesus also conquered death in the atonement. The central message of the gospel is deliverance from sin. It is the good news about forgiveness, not help. Christ was made sin, not disease. And he died on the cross for our sin, not our sickness. As Peter makes it clear, Christ's wounds heal us from sin, not from disease. He himself, Peter, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. So the context of this verse is yes, he came and he died. He took away our infirmities and he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. See, Matthew's saying this is part of what he came to do. This is part of what he will do in the future. This is not for us to say, well, it says it here, by his wounds I'm healed. Yes, you're healed spiritually. We're, here, we're, we're healed spiritually. We know that God does not promise health, wealth, and prosperity. He does not promise that nowhere in the Bible. In fact, when, when he's talking to his disciples, he's telling them, believe and repent for your salvation. He's basically saying, it's not an easy life. It's a life of cross-bearing. It's a life of self-denial. He says, what king goes to war without counting how many soldiers he has? What man builds a house without knowing if he has enough to finish it? This is the kind of call that Jesus makes. The Christian life is not one that is easy. It's not. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. But it's not easy. And it will never be easy. The whole process of sanctification. The whole process of maturing. Unfortunately, because of our humanness, it happens through suffering. It happens through pain. And sometimes we're the most attached to God in moments of pain and suffering. Because guess what he does promise? What does he promise in Philippians 4? He doesn't promise health, wealth, and prosperity, but he promises what? Persecution. Well, yeah, he does promise that, but he promises peace. While you're in trials and in tribulation. He does promise you that. That is a promise for us. And I encourage anybody here who has not bowed their knee to the Lord and Savior of the universe that you do so, that you call out and be saved, that you call, call out upon the Lord and be saved. One day we will meet God. We will meet God. And how will we stand before him? 
on our own righteousness, on our own good works. Good luck with that. Or will we stand in Christ and His righteousness and His amazing person? Like Chris taught on Sunday school. It was a great Sunday school of the person of Christ, of what He did for us. That's not... That's not think that that's not important. It's the most important thing that we can do as believers or as people is to cry out to God for salvation because we can't save ourselves. And he, does, he deserves it. He demands it. Regardless, you can bow your knee voluntarily and be saved or you can bow your knee forcefully and not be saved. So to, find, to, to, to end our, our, our lesson today, we've got three applications. Number one, Guys, let's not devalue what true miracles are. Let's not devalue that word. Is it wrong to pray for miracles? No. It's not wrong. Could God do miracles today? Of course he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere. But when we pray, let's have a, let's have a, a proper way of praying to God. Right? Not thinking that your faith is not going to be enough. God does tell us to have faith. But ultimately knowing that God is in control. And if God wants to heal somebody, it's because he's going to do it. Not because of you or what you brought to the table. Number two, there's always time for ministry, guys. Always time for ministry. There's always time. Where you think that, oh, I'm so tired. And all of a sudden, bam, somebody comes to you and you know, starts talking about God. And you're like, okay, God. I did pray this morning. Give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Hey, man, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm kind of tired. Don't, don't do that. Don't give up that opportunity. Dusty's sermon was powerful when it says how we pray. Lord, give me an opportunity. And when I do get that opportunity, let me be truthful to the end. That should be our prayer daily. So when it comes to ministry, when it comes to doing and serving God, 24-7. Remember, you die to yourself. And you live for God. You are an ambassador, right? It's not about you or what you think or what you want. It's about serving our king at any time. And lastly, kind of goes with the first one. Let's pray the right way and pray and ask God to come through with what he has said. And believe what he has said, which is giving us peace through times of tribulation. Not taking God's word out of context to fit our needs. Because we just want to be a, have a God that's like a genie where we just ask him things and he's, well, he's love, so he has to love me in that way. It's a very dangerous thing to say. God is love, yes, and, we, and he is a great father. We can go before the throne and call him Abba Father. What a great opportunity that is. That's amazing. But never forget, he's God. And he's holy and he's just. Amen? Let's pray.